Good day and welcome to episode 18 of The Middle Podcast. My name is Jim Nelson and this podcast is an online ministry of Living Word Church in Oak Harbor, Washington. Today is July 5th and I'll start out this production by saying Happy Independence Day and a belated Happy Fourth of July. I'm hopeful you and those close to you were able to celebrate in a fun and safe way. The Nelsons celebrated with a few of our close friends, and we just had a great time. We laughed a lot. We talked a lot, of course. We watched a home-brewed fireworks show and later sat by a nice, warm, outdoor fireplace. It was also enjoyable, and I may, just may, have forgotten the circumstances of 2020, if nothing else, for at least a few hours. We had a great time. Each week, I try to come up with some cool conversation starter, and this week it is appropriately fireworks. I read an article that said the United States usually has about 16,000 officially organized community fireworks shows. But this year in 2020, they were down about 90%. I mean, only around 1,500 were scheduled to go on going into Saturday. But the people of the United States, oh... We are a resourceful people, and we as a collective group nearly bought all of the fireworks off of all of the tables and shelves from the sellers throughout this country. We weren't going to be denied exploding gunpowder packed in layers of paper. According to this article, going into the weekend, firework sales were up 115% compared to 2019. I think people were just excited about getting out, gathering with a few neighbors or family members, and just spending some time with each other again, blowing things up. We were kind of on the outskirts of Oak Harbor, but it seemed to me that starting at about 9 p.m., it was a continuous display of fireworks for three straight hours that surrounded our little get-together. It's always really busy every year in in this community and my community, but this one seemed to be more consistent and it was just fun to witness and take part in. I'm hopeful you had a similar experience and are encouraged by your gathering this past Saturday. So this week we will continue with our summer's focus on bearing witness to Christ. We'll start with one part from the example of Christ himself that he gave us to follow and then close the podcast with another amazing guest from our faith family, Amy Martella. So stay with us. We'll be right back to the middle podcast after this short break. All right, we are back. And before we get to this week's interview, I want to connect to last Sunday and Drew's continuation of the Romans sermon series. I thought his sermon broke down to one reality and one application of that truth as Paul addressed both the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the Rome house churches. So first, the reality. God is sovereign. And I know that's another kind of church word, but it basically means he is control of everything. Nothing goes unnoticed and slips through his fingers. So however you want to simplify the word sovereign, this world is all his, and in that position, God gets to decide, Drew said. That's truth, and that's going to happen. So out of that truth, God chose the ancient Israelites to be his people. And if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in Abraham's story, we get the why. God chose this people to live in a way that would reflect the nature and character of God, all for the purpose of blessing the rest of the world, blessing all of the nations in the rest of the world. 
The Israelite people were to be witnesses to the one true God of the universe in a world full of other nations who did not know God. Conveniently, this connects really well to the middle podcast theme this summer of being witnesses. But then how best can we do that? Well, Drew concluded with Romans chapter 10, which poses a series of questions, of progressive questions that lead to only one practical answer. Romans chapter 10 says this, How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And then how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone proclaiming to them? And then finally, how can they proclaim unless they are sent? The answer to all of that? Enter the witnesses. As it is written, Paul continues, How beautiful are the feet who bring good news. Enter the witnesses. Paul here is quoting Isaiah 52, which leads into a prophecy about the future of a coming servant who, among other things, will be the chief witness. For what they were not told, they will see, says Isaiah 52, and what they have not heard, they will understand. That's a prophecy of the coming Jesus. So we're going to look at Jesus and how he witnessed over the course of the next few weeks. And my favorite story for that is a resurrected Jesus joining two of his followers on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. So first, some context. It is Easter morning. The stone has been rolled back, and Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and the other women. They go back, and they tell the disciples, and Peter and John take off in some sort of first-century foot race back to the tomb. They find the tomb empty, and the body coverings are lying around, while at the same time, Jesus is appearing on a road outside of Jerusalem. There are so many elements of realistic, everyday witness in this story of Jesus, and we'll go through many of them over the course of the summer. But first and foremost, our story starts out like this. Luke 24 says, That very day, two of them, and those are two of Jesus' followers, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So basically, they were talking about Jesus' suffering on on Friday and Jesus' death on Friday evening. While they were talking and discussing together, it continues, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So I want to focus today on the drew near and went with them part of that story. Jesus knew the power of relationships and trust when it came to discipleship. Much of what we learn of the gospel in our modern context is done from a bit of a distance. Drew is normally on a, on a non-COVID Sunday, you know, at least half an auditorium away from us. I podcast a lot of sermons in a typical week, but most of these are from preachers that I have no nearness to, and I don't know personally, and I don't trust personally at all. I can order a book on Amazon. I'm going through one right now by N.T. Wright on discipleship, and it's great. But it comes at a distance because, once again, I don't walk through life with Pastor Wright. It would be really neat if I did, but the reality is I just don't. So I can learn a lot of information from these forms of distant contact, but it all does come from a little bit far away. Jesus' example gives us a glimpse as the into the value of nearness, the value of a relationship in a topic, salvation, that really requires 
vulnerability, sensitivity, intimacy, and trust. So let's talk about trust today with Amy Martella. Give me a couple of seconds and I'll get her right on the line. We'll be right back. Well, good morning, Amy. Thanks so much for joining us on the Middle Podcast. It is great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited about it. This will be really, really good. But I wanted to start us off a big weekend this past Saturday. How was your Independence Day celebration? Did you do anything exciting? It was good. Um, We live on a street that has really wonderful neighbors. So um, we have, we were able to get together with a couple of them and watch some of the fireworks that were going off around town and have some barbecue and just, uh, you know, try to, you know, socially distance responsibly as much as we could. So, right. um, Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was enjoyable. (laughs) We did the same. And I mentioned in the intro to this episode that the personal fireworks sales were up 115% compared to last year going into the weekend, and mainly because there was no community programs that were going on or very few community programs that were going on. Did your neighborhood sound like 115% more family fireworks? (laughs) Well, I'm not really sure because I was actually in the backyard of our neighbor's house because it happens to... Um, but up to kind of looks back over Oak Harbor Road. So there was tons of fireworks going, like the big ones. People were sitting off really big ones. Oh, so yeah. I was actually back there watching all of those ones. Um, and then there were people out in the you know, the front setting off some fireworks. So I think there was a decent amount, but um, I don't, I'm not sure if I was at 115% or not. <laughs> I my my recollection was it was more than 115 percent for where we were. It was just it was great. It was a great show. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know you're a military family. Did you grow up in the Pacific Northwest, or did you all come from somewhere else? No, we all kind of came from uh, you know different areas. I was born in California in Sacramento, huh. uh, but okay. we lived there until I was I was like nine or so, and then we moved to Reno, Nevada. And that's oh. basically where I grew up. Oh. I lived there until I met my husband in 2010. He was stationed in Fallon, Nevada, and oh, okay. worked with my brother-in-law. So I met him through my sister played matchmaker, and she still fully takes credit as often <laughs> as she can for that. Uh, she's sister of the year for the rest of her life. And, um yep. So when we when he got orders in 2012 to leave Fallon, we were already married at that point, and that's when we moved to the Pacific Northwest. He came from Oklahoma, and oh. uh, yeah, so we we've lived in the Pacific Northwest since July of 2012, and have kind of moved around the area. We were initially stationed in Everett, and then we were stationed in Bremerton, and now oh. we are here. You definitely moved around the area. We did. When it comes to <laughs> Navy bases. <laughs> Yes. That's cool. Okay, so Reno, Nevada. I had a good friend that uh, came from Truckee. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Truckee's beautiful. And then I've been to Oklahoma City once and stayed mm-hmm. there for about a week or so. It was great. I loved it. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, his his family lives just right outside of Oklahoma City in Norman. So I'm guiding the interviews this summer to reflect our theme of being a witness and what it means as we walk out our faith. So I really want to hear your story and how you've experienced this command from Jesus to be a witness. So the first question to get us going into that is, did you grow up in and around a church? 
I would be hesitant to say that I grew up in the church. When I think of growing up in the church, I think more of, you know, being something that is part of your, that is very much integrated into your life. You know, you're there every Sunday doing your thing. um, And that's also kind of being walked out outside of Sundays. So I wouldn't say that I grew up in the church. I remember being really little, probably five or six, and my grandfather taking me to church, but it wasn't something that happened every weekend. It was actually, I remember being a very special occasion. I got to wear a pretty dress and I got to have him all to myself, which I think was what excited me more than anything was the fact that I got to dress up and I got Papa all to myself and not share him with anybody else. And I remember sitting in the Sunday school there, you know, he was out listening to the, the, you know, the sermon that was being delivered. And mm-hmm. I was in Sunday school. And I, I can vividly remember sitting cross-legged on the floor and being very intrigued by this entire situation because it was, you know, it was pretty new to me. Yeah. And, um, but it wasn't something that I did with my parents per se. Um, I, our neighbors down the street at that, you know, around that same age, they were believers and they were involved in their church. And so they would take me along a lot of the time. I did missionettes when I was little. And I remember the little yellow dress that I got to wear and the sash for the different badges that I earned and all of that. Again, it wasn't something that my parents were necessarily involved in. Um, That didn't really happen until I was a teenager and I would go with my mom and my stepdad, and we would go to church. There was a Sunday evening service at six o'clock at the church that we attended. But again, it was, it wasn't something that was regular. I feel yeah. like we went through seasons where we did that. Um, and then we would fall apart, you know, fall away from that. And then yeah. we would, you know, go back to it again. And it was very much of the, like it was a check in the box type of thing. Like there wasn't, my heart wasn't changed at that point. It was, I'd go and I'd listen to the message and it was great, but it wasn't that soul deep type of situation. Okay. Well, this, this would be a great follow up then because I love this question because it really drives home God's plan to use humankind, to use individuals and families to herald the good news of Christ, which makes each conversation I have so unique. That's what I love about this. But who did the Holy Spirit use to then to witness and to lead you to, a salvation experience. So I think it, I would say it started, the first person that pops into my mind is my mom's best friend, Diane. Okay. She is just this beautiful soul. And, um, you know, when you, any of us, whenever anybody would think, oh man, we really need prayer about this. She's the first person that comes to mind. Like, oh, you know, let's get die on this too, because she is a prayer warrior. And yeah. just, you know, that's where her, her heart is. And then the other person that I thought of was my Aunt Paula, because just for very specific reasons in that she went through some very hard things with my cousin and I got to watch her go from this place of wanting to control that situation to Mm -hmm. submitting fully to the Lord and handing it all over to him and then getting to see the fruits of that, which were amazing. As soon as she finally realized I can't control this situation anymore. I have to hand him over. His entire world changed. His life made a complete turn for the better. And wow. that was really powerful. And I just, yeah. I think to myself, gosh, I can't imagine having to, 
face that type of situation with my own son and having to do something like that and just (laughs) totally be hands off because I would want to control that situation too. So I just feel like that was such a beautiful thing to get to see and watch her do that. Wow. That was great. And of course, you know, just the last three or so, so years of being at Living Word, I think that that's where such a huge concentration of that witnessing has happened for me, just really being in relationship and community with yeah. our congregation has just been amazing. When I was on staff, I'd ask people this because I was really curious. How did you first hear about the Word? <laughs> it was actually through my real estate agent when we were buying our house. Oh, okay. <laughs> she attends Living Word, and we happen to literally live a stone's throw from Living Word. We live oh, okay. in the, you know, Cherry Hill, right to the oh, churches. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it was it was right there, and she had said, you know, a lot. That's a really um, it's a great church. I attend there. Um, it's it's you know one of the bigger ones, but it's really amazing. So, and it's right here, so that's really convenient too. And so that was. I was like, oh well, I'll definitely give that a shot then, and I just felt immediately like, yep this is the place for me. Oh, that's, that's cool. There's so many different stories about how people find the church that they're attending and that they feel connected to. So, oh, thanks for that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Sure. Now, did you have any initial reaction? Like when uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but when, when I would say, boy, I just started reading, just going crazy on stuff, whatever I could get my hands on to read. And that was kind of my initial reaction. Did you have kind of initial salvation reaction that comes to mind at all? You know, that's a really interesting question um, because I think that my my initial response to that is, oh gosh, you know, I didn't have this like big, amazing story, you know, with this, this aha moment or, you know, just that, that time that you can really pinpoint of that is when my life changed. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't, take away from the importance of my story just because mine was different than maybe somebody that had that big, powerful moment. I feel like mine was something that happened over time. It was like this, I I just see this like beautiful tapestry that was woven together slowly and very purposefully. And so much of that, I really, really attribute it to the experiences that I've had at Living Word, because that is where my, it's it just, I was just propelled <laughs> right into it through all sorts of work that I can totally recognize that God was doing just in who he was placing in my life yeah. and what they were exposing me to, you know, who, who ended up being, you know, my, my neighbor down the street, Amanda, she's one of my dearest friends. And She's the one that me, that invited me to the Bible study that I'm still a part of today, and cool. I met people through that Bible study that totally just changed my life just because of who they are and the way that they just embraced and were so passionate about their relationship with Jesus. It was like, oh my gosh, this is something that I don't know I've ever experienced this intimately before. So mm-hmm. that was a really a really important thing for me in that aspect, uh, just being able to, the the way that Pastor Drew delivers his sermons, and it's just, it made so much sense to me. It was that applicability and being able to be like, I can actually see how this scripture, how this message 
I can take this home with me and start actually applying this in my life. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was a big thing. It wasn't just this, this Sunday thing. It was this idea of this is the start of my week, not the end of my week, not, okay, I'm done for the week. That's where my week is starting. And that was really important to me along with Eden, our women's ministry. Like that oh, yeah. rocked Absolutely. my world. <laughs> rocked yeah. my world so hard. I, I love Eden. I don't even get to attend. There's so much there. It's it, it's a fantastic ministry in the in the church for sure. You mentioned intimacy, and so I kind of want to explore trust this week, okay? And mm-hmm. and trust obviously involves a lot of deep intimacy to to really make trust work. So in your work, which is family and marriage counseling, mm-hmm. trust has got to be one of the primary characteristics between counselor and counselee. So how important is trust? when it comes to a relationship, just in general, and then most importantly in our gospel connections. Because, And, mm-hmm. and I'll just throw this out there as an example. From my personal experience, and that's just me, there may be people that respond to this, but I was never drawn to the person wearing the sandwich board on the street corner that was telling me I was going to go to hell, you know, or if I didn't repent, or a person mm-hmm. holding John 3.16 sign in the middle of a football game. But I was drawn to a genuine relationship where those same messages of my need to repent and that God loves me were communicated. So how important is trust? Oh man, it's, that was one of those things that's just super hard to quantify because it's so, it's so important. Yeah. Putting words to the importance of that is really difficult to do for a number of different reasons because it does look different for how people come to earn that trust, what they consider trust. Um, you know, there's, there's so many facets that are, present in that, but it is absolutely, it's a, it's a cornerstone of any relationship. You know, the first relationship I think is marriage and you have to have trust in your relationship and your marriage or your relationship, whether it's, um, you know, marriage or not, but in that that spousal relationship, significant other, you have to have that trust because what are you building on if you can't trust that person? So I think that it is, Super, super important, um, especially when you do start digging into those vulnerable areas, and you gotta you gotta have that part of the equation. Otherwise, you're yeah. not going to get very far, in my opinion. Is hearing and listening part of trust? For sure, for sure. Um, I think that's one thing that so many people do struggle with in like the communication aspect of it is really being able to hear what that other person is saying because it's going to be really hard to trust somebody if you're bearing your soul to them and you don't feel like they're actually soaking in what you're saying. It's more of, I'm listening so that I can respond to you or so so that I can give you my opinion on it or defend maybe something that you said, but just really being able to have conversation where you feel like you're really heard. That's vital and and building that trust, keeping that trust, and being able to go further into exploring those things that really give you that relationship equity where you can have those more difficult conversations. You know, I have, of Drew, of my son Drew, and okay. that he trusts me. And so he's looking to Tom and I to lead him in those things. If he didn't trust us, he's not going <laughs> to, yeah. he's not going to, I can carry much weight. What would you say to 
a family during this time of COVID-19 response, a lot of school being done at home and the potential for more school being done at home in the future depends on what decisions are made. What would be like the number one thing that you would say to them being a counselor to just help the whole situation out? Because it's different. It's different. It's different in our household for sure. Yes. Yes. It's very different. The The first thing that comes to mind for me is expectations. What are we expecting of ourselves as parents to be able to accomplish with being thrown into this homeschooling that we've never done before? What are we expecting of our kids as they are also trying to figure this out? Because if we're placing all sorts of things on ourselves that we can't live up to, that's going to breed all sorts of frustration and conflict, and it's not going to be something that is going to be effective in that area. The other thing that I think of, and I I guess this comes to mind specifically for for teenagers, because I have one, I live with one, and this is something that I've found to be such a very eye-opening once Tom and I were able to figure out this is what our child needs, but just allowing him the space to express his frustrations, making sure that he... If he disagrees with something that we have said or we have asked him to do or maybe told him he's not allowed to do, the conflict really took a step back when we just said, okay, we really want to hear what you have to say. Not necessarily meaning that that's going to change our answer or it's going to change our position, but giving him the opportunity to air his grievances and to <laughs> you know, fight for his cause in a sense. Just then when, if we were still like, no, I mean, we hear you, but our answer is still the same. He at least was able to feel like, well, at least they know where I'm coming from. And that really, really lowered the amount of arguing that happened and conflict that happened because we were able to say, do you feel like we heard, you know, you were able to express yourself? Do you feel like we are understanding where you're coming from? And if he said, yes, it's like, okay, awesome. So glad that you were able to do that. However, our answer is still the same. Not right. always the same yeah. for the most part. So that was also a big thing, especially when you're in such close quarters. And during this quarantine, we've spent a lot of time with our families, which has been yeah. great. And it's also been challenging. So finding those ways to give space to people. Yeah. Deal. That's a great way to, to end this part of the show, if you don't mind. It's just perfect. Okay. I do thank you very much for your time, Amy. I know, know everybody will enjoy this conversation. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. That will close out episode 18 of the Middle Podcast. A huge thank you to Amy Martella and her practiced perspective on trust. That was a very helpful conversation for all of us as witnesses. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Next week, it's a road trip with the Nelsons. We'll be coming to you live or semi-live or digitally live from Shell, Wyoming, and we can't wait to be with you. God bless and have a great week.